We are um, in Acts chapter 2 today, and this is exciting. It's an exciting passage today. It is the first message preached by the church post-resurrection. In fact, the church is just born, and it's the first message preached by a believer who is baptized in the Holy Spirit as Peter stands up and preaches this message, what I'm excited about is it's an expositional message and it's a model that you will see a pattern demonstrated in all the messages just about that are in Acts. How Peter stands up and he quotes Old Testament Scripture or reads from it. He, he gives them Old Testament passages and explains it. That's expository preaching. And he's preaching to them, to the very people that were probably there who crucified Christ or handed him over to the Romans. People who might have shouted, we have no king but Caesar. Now, and that's a great indictment to them because Jesus was Messiah. And as we look at this text today, I don't know what your understanding of Messiah is, but for most people in the West, they don't really understand all the things wrapped up in what that term is. Messiah translated into Greek, it was the word Christos or Christ in English. But that word doesn't convey what really was behind the word Messiah. The Hebrew word was Mashiach. And we're going to look at that in just a second, but just to give a quick review for those who might not have been here, uh, I want to quickly tell you, Luke wrote this letter. It's called the Acts of the Apostles. And he wrote it. It's the second of two letters written to a guy named Theophilus. He wrote it to this guy to explain to him all the things that God did through Jesus first in the Gospel of Luke by the power of the Holy Spirit to put God on display and highlight Messiah. That was what it was about. The coming messianic age. But it was first through Jesus and all the works he did. But Acts of the Apostles is the followers of Jesus, the birth of the church, and how the Holy Spirit now works through the people who followed after him. And he wrote it to Theophilus because he wanted to have him, he wanted him to understand all this stuff. Now, I believe Theophilus was a believer. And a lot of times, as believers, we think, oh, I've heard the gospel. I've heard it. I believe it in my head. I believe it. And why do we need to keep having the gospel preached to us? Why do we keep needing to be reminded of all these things? Because every time we hear the gospel, we should be reminded of what he's done in our life. Every time we hear the story, it should evoke gratitude in us that he would would go through what he went through for me and you. And I think one of the issues in our country is we don't fully grasp a lot of times the significance of how bad we are and the significance of what He's done to make it possible for us to be in right relationship with God. So Luke's writing this and the theme of all the the book really of Acts is the risen Christ. It's the risen Christ. And and so he kind of divides Acts up into six sections And at the end of every section, there's a phrase that says, and the church multiplied. 
and the Word of God increased. The church increased. The Word of God multiplied. So it's interchangeably used, the Word and the church, because that is the purpose of the church, is to preach the Word. To preach the Word of God and have it increase. And what it means by increasing is the number of followers of Jesus, the elect that are being collected or keep coming on into the body of Christ, carrying it to future generations. So we saw in chapter 1 that these followers taught his message, which was repent and believe in Messiah. Repent and believe. And they taught his kingdom priority, which was God's kingdom. It was not an earthly kingdom. And sometimes we forget that, but he taught a, he said, listen, I could, if I wanted to, I could call angels. I could do whatever I wanted to, but I'm not about that. I'm about a spiritual kingdom. I don't use regular weapons. That's not my purpose. And so he taught this kingdom priority and he taught them also in chapter one. He said, you need to wait on the spirit. Trust in my power, not your power. And then finally, he said, you need to follow my plan, which was start local and expand. Start in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And so you see in Acts, that's what happened. They started in Jerusalem. It expanded to Samaria and Judea. And then also, it went all the way to Rome by Acts 28. And the same message going all the way through. To so much so that at the end, in Acts 28, right before the last thing that said, and Paul preached unhindered for two years in prison in Rome, He said he preached the kingdom of God, that same priority. Well, then we saw how they replaced Matthias, or I'm sorry, they replaced Judas with Matthias. And we saw, we talked about what it meant to be God's man because they selected him. And we saw some things that were characteristic of God's men or his followers. And I'm saying God's men because we're all men here. But the first thing was, They walked after Jesus or followed Him with an abiding love. And that abiding love is an obedient love. Because if you're abiding and walking with Him, you're going to obey Him. If you love Him, that's what He says. If you love Me, you'll keep My commandments. But we also saw people who saw their circumstances through scriptural lens. In other words, whenever things are falling down around them or whenever things are happening, they look to Scripture to see what God's doing and how God wants them to respond. Because God talks about all that stuff that they're going through. And then finally, the last thing was God's men are chosen and called to serve a sovereign God. They were chosen, first of all, so every one of us have been chosen if we're His. He chose us. We're here today because He wanted us to hear this message. There's no coincidence in the kingdom. We're going to see today at the end of this text that even He's so sovereign in every little detail, it blows me away how God, His sovereignty is seen all throughout, even the day that He picked to pour out His Spirit on Pentecost, and we're going to see that today. And so last week, we looked at Acts chapter 2 in the first little section. Uh, one, Actually, it, we looked at 1 through 21, and we kind of got into Peter's introduction as he talks about Joel. But what we saw last week was God had this supernatural reveal for the birth of the church where he, he had this whirlwind-like sound or a tornado or hurricane-like sound that caused people to come into where the disciples were and they saw tongues as of fire 
floating over them. And then they just start speaking in all these known languages of different people who are there. Now you've got to remember what's going on. This is Pentecost. It's the second major feast. They would have all been there at the southern steps, most likely, going up those steps up to the temple for the feast. And they hear this sound. They come running. What's going on? What's going on? They hear their language speaking the mighty works of God. And we said last week that had never been done before. Because the people normally heard God's works, His Word, which talks about all the things He did in Hebrew or Aramaic. So this was a first for them. So they're going, wow, what's happening? In fact, they're saying these guys are drunk. And we saw uh, not only the supernatural reveal, we saw this really a a senseless response because they said they're drunk, which was not a good explanation at all. But they didn't know what to say. So Peter launches into Joel 2 and starts talking to him, saying, hey, these men aren't drunk. The prophet Joel said all this stuff was going to happen. It's the launching of the Messianic age. And then we saw finally that uh, he gave them this scriptural reminder in Joel, and he calls him, he says, listen, it's not too late for you. He says, it's not too late. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So that was kind of like that Joel, when he went into Joel, was an introduction, if you will, to what he's going to do now this week in this sermon in Acts 2.22-41 through 41, that we're going to look at today. And as we look at this today, I want you to think about, like I said, Messiah. And I want you to think about preaching in general. Just preaching. When you hear the word preaching... Positive or negative? Both. If I said, man, O'Harry was preaching to me, is that negative? Yeah, more than likely. If my wife's saying, Doug, you've got to stop preaching to the girls. Negative. We have made preaching a negative thing. And it's not a negative thing at all. Preaching is the vehicle through which God chose to communicate His words to people, His people. And Romans, what does it say? How are they going to hear if there's no one to what? Does it say to have a nice conversation with them? How are they going to hear if somebody doesn't tell them a story? It's not what it says. It says, how are they going to hear if someone doesn't preach? How are they going to preach if nobody sends them? And preaching, guys, from Romans 10.1. What about 1 Corinthians 2 where Paul says, I resolved to only what? Preach one thing. What was it? Christ, Christ and Him crucified. I'm not going to use fancy words. I'm not going to try to manipulate people. I still hear one of my mentors was a guy named Dr. Stephen Olford out of Memphis, Tennessee. He hammered in us. 2 Timothy 4.1, where Paul told Timothy, Timothy, <coughs> preach the Word. And I can still see Dr. Olford with his hand in the air. Men, preach the Word. Preach the Word. Preach the Word. There's a, there's, there's a difference between preaching and other forms of communicating truth. Teaching is different. Teaching is when you're sitting on a couch with your kids in the living room, and you say, hey, um, you shouldn't go in their street because cars are in the street, you get hit. That's teaching. That's a teaching moment, right? 
Preaching is when you're outside and your kids are close to the road and you go, hey, get out of the road! It has a sense of urgency and passion to it. And I, I think we've lost a lot of that because, because people have diminished it. And they've made it negative. And because of caricatures they see on TV or caricatures that they may have had growing up. So we've diminished this preaching and, and, and said, you know, we, we just need to tell stories or we need to be more conversational. And, and we communicate like these unbelievably important, urgent events have no urgencies to them. Think about that. If somebody, listen, if there was a poisonous gas that got released here in the building and somebody was coming to tell us, you think they'd come in here and go, hey guys, I just want to let you know there's a poisonous gas outside. You, you might want to think about leaving right now. Or do you think they would come in shouting, we got to get out of the building? You see the difference? So preaching has been relegated to a negative thing. And here Peter stands up after he's been baptized in the Spirit. By the way, no committee meeting. They didn't get together and say, hey guys, what should we do now that we got this Holy Spirit? Let's make a plan. He'd already given them a plan. Start in Jerusalem. So Peter stands up and he just starts preaching. Now, he was very fortunate because God gave him the introduction. He got their attention. That's what an introduction does in a good sermon, right? you got about two to three minutes to get somebody who's listening to you to decide they want to give you the rest of their time. And so, for God, He just poured out this sound that drew people. They saw the tongues and they're going, what's going on? And so when Peter stands up, they're naturally listening to him. They have a vested interest to find out what he's going to say. So in this text today, what we see is God reveals that Jesus of Nazareth is Messiah through the preaching of Peter as he preaches about, first of all, Jesus' supernatural life. His supernatural life. It's the first thing we see in the text. Second, he preaches about his sacrificial death. This is a model, guys, we're going to see throughout Acts. The supernatural life of Jesus, the sacrificial death of Jesus, and third, His sovereign resurrection. And by that, I mean Jesus knew before He ever died He was going to be resurrected. That was not something that He, he said, listen, I have the authority to take it up or put it down. I've got the authority. He knew. He knew. So he had this sovereign resurrection. And then uh, next we see his spirit-releasing ascension. And I say that because remember what the disciples said? Don't leave us, don't leave us. He goes, if I don't leave, then I can't send the comforter to you. But if I leave, I will promise, I promise I'll send him to you. And that's important. And then finally in Peter's sermon, we see a saving invitation at the end. He tells them, this, hey, you, you, you want to be saved? This is what you do. So those five elements are a part of this. And you're going to see throughout Acts, you're going to see His supernatural life, the death, the resurrection, ascension talked about. In almost every sermon, whether Peter or Paul preaches it, that's what you're going to see. And so let's read the text. 
And we're going to come back and look at each one of these right out of the text itself. It's right there in the text. So um, join with me in reading starting in verse 22 of chapter 2. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through Him in your midst as you yourselves know. This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised Him up, loosing His pangs of death because it was not possible for Him to be held by it. For David says concerning Him, I saw the Lord always before me, for He is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus... God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made Him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus, whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to Himself. And with many other words, He bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received His word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. First mega church. Really was. First mega church. This is the messianic age. It's the birth of the messianic age. When the church is born, it's the launching. That's what the passage in Joel means when it was about Messiah. Now, I told you, Messiah comes from the Hebrew word Mashiach, which means anointed one. Now, when we think of Christ Jesus, we say Jesus Christ. Christ is the Greek, or Christ is the English equivalent of the Greek Christos, which means Messiah. But it, 
It doesn't, we don't really know what that means. We just know what's attached to Jesus. And that's the name that we refer to him as. But for the Jew, being Messiah carried with it an, the anointed one. Who did they anoint in the Jewish culture? They anointed kings. Remember Samuel anointed David? He anointed Saul. They anointed kings. Who else did they anoint? They anointed prophets. Elijah anointed Elisha. Who else did they anoint? Priest. Aaron was anointed. So all three offices were going to be contained in the anointed one. The Mashiach. The Messiah. And so they were looking forward to that deliverer. But in their minds, their deliverer was going to deliver them from Rome. That was a big problem. In fact, it was so ingrained at them that even when the disciples walked with Jesus, even though He tried to tell them over and over and over, they never got it. They didn't get it until when? Until after He was resurrected and He's teaching them after the fact. Remember on the road to Emmaus? It says He started back with what? Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. And it says that He told them all about Himself in the Scriptures. How they pointed to Messiah. They called this deliverer the Messiah. And they were looking for a Messiah to deliver them from what they thought. Their Messiah was what they thought He should be. And they missed Him. They not only missed Him, they rejected Him. They not only rejected Him, they put Him up to be crucified in the most brutal way ever by a bunch of pagans. And I wonder if we do the same thing. You see, in our country, we want a priest. We want a priest. We want a Messiah priest that will save us from all our sins and connect us with God. We don't necessarily want a Messiah king or a prophet. What does a prophet do? He tells you what God says. And you better do it Nobody liked the prophets. They were the first preachers, by the way, in the Old Testament. Nobody liked them. They thought, in fact, I've heard Christians or people who say they're Christians say, well, you know, John the Baptist was a, he was a nutcase anyway. I'm not kidding you. People who profess the name of Christ talk about John the Baptist as if he's a wingnut crazy guy because he was a prophet. And so the Messiah had meaning and the Messianic age meant that when, when the Messianic age came, it meant that the Redeemer was coming to first of all, deliver His people spiritually. Second of all, to do it physically. They were looking for the physical, not the spiritual. That's why Jesus kept talking about the inside of the cup. The inside of us. It's not what's on the outside, it's on the inside. It was about spiritual and not the physical so much. He was really emphasizing that. So, what does Peter do? He goes right back at God's direction to wait in Jerusalem. He's empowered from on high. And he stands up and he says, Men of Israel! Who are the people he's talking to? The very ones that were going, We have no king but Caesar. Think about how merciful that is that the very people that rejected Him 
They get the first message. They get the first message. The first apostolic gospel message is to those people there. Because remember, just 40 days earlier, they were there for what reason? Passover. All of them would have been there. They would have known. They would have heard the story. Remember in Luke 24 what the guy said? Are you the only one here that hadn't heard about this guy? What happened? They would have known it was Passover. So now they're back for this second thank feast, the Feast of Harvest. And Peter stands up and he says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Hear what I'm saying to you. Preaching involves words. It involves communicating. People say, just live the Gospel. No, you can't just live the Gospel. You've got to use words for people to hear it. They can't just ascertain, okay, he's a good guy, so I trust Jesus. That doesn't happen. They've got to hear the proclamation. The life has to match up. You, you have to have the life that gives authentic witness to the words, but nobody is going to trust Christ just because they see your life. He says, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth. Why is that significant? Did Jesus ever call Himself Jesus of Nazareth? No. He never did. He always referred to Himself as what? The Son of Man. The Son of Man. The Son of God. But do you know who did refer to Him as Jesus of Nazareth? The Pharisees. The Pharisees. And that's what they put on the cross. That's significant, guys. That's what they put on the cross. That was the name. This is Yeshua of Nazareth. It's Jesus of Nazareth. And so Peter takes the phrase they gave and he's throwing it back out of them. And he says, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God. That word attested, it means, it, it means authenticated by God. And then he tells how and he gives three different descriptions with mighty works, wonders, and signs. All three are significant. Mighty works, miracles. That's referring to the nature of these mighty works. Supernatural. They came from God. They were unexplainable. By the way, when Jesus healed people, He didn't just heal psychosomatic illnesses. When He healed people, He raised the dead. He healed people blind from birth. He took people who were mute and helped them to be able to speak. The lame were able to walk. He did things verifiable that people saw. These were supernatural miracles. That's the first thing that God attested. They were wonders. That was really referring to their effect on people. When people saw them, they were like, wow. Have you ever been like that? You see something, you go, wow. That's what that wonders means. And signs. Signs means that it pointed to something. It pointed to Jesus. The purpose. They had purpose. They weren't just random miracles done. They had a purpose of pointing to Jesus. So Peter's taking them to what happened. He's saying this guy was supernatural. Now think about Jesus of Nazareth. Remember what one of the disciples said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And so throughout this, and even throughout other messages, you're going to hear Peter refer to him as Jesus of Nazareth. 
They knew who that guy was. And he's saying he was attested. So he had this supernatural life. Second, verse 23, he has this sacrificial death. He says, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. The, the word plan there means design, purpose, or will. So it was God's design that He be delivered up. Foreknowledge is kind of uh, an amplifier there. What that word means, it means God made a choice because He predetermined it. It was not God made a choice because He knew it was going to happen. Some people like to promote that idea that that word foreknowledge, that word means God made a choice because He predetermined it. And you go, well, I, I'm uncomfortable with that. Well, so am I. But that's, that's what it means. My translation says God's prearranged plan. Yeah, well, yeah it's the same idea. It's, it's that God had predetermined this. Now, I want you to notice something that happens here. Even though God's sovereignty is there, look what He says next. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. So even though God predetermined it, even though God uh, sovereignly ordained it, they're still responsible. And He says, you did this. Now, I want you to go back with me for a second and think of what's happening. Peter's standing up. He goes, men of Israel, the God of all creation, attested to this guy, Jesus of Nazareth. He's the Messiah. The, the things that you're seeing going on, that's because Messiah has come. He's quoting Joel 2. And he says, Jesus of Nazareth is that Messiah. And you rejected Him. You killed Him. That's not very seeker-sensitive there, what he's saying. I mean, he's not doing anything to really win friends in this audience by doing what he just did. He's saying, you did this. He's, and, and here's the thing about this, guys. The struggle for the Jews, remember when Jesus walked the earth, what did they say? Hey, if you're that guy, come down from the cross. If you really are who you say you are, heal yourself. See, they didn't believe that if Jesus was Messiah, He would allow Romans to kill Him. Because that was not their definition of what Messiah was going to be about. That's why they missed Him. Again, I wonder if we create an idea of Messiah in our mind and sometimes we miss Him. Peter says it wasn't a Roman decision. It was God's plan. It was His plan from the beginning. Christ's suffering and death was part of the plan. Isaiah 53, Psalms 22, Zechariah 12. They all are Old Testament prophecies along with many others that point to His suffering. But do you know that today in most synagogues, they will not read from Isaiah 53 because He's a suffering Messiah described there. And don't miss what Peter said. He says, you did it. You rejected the Messiah that was attested to by God. You rejected Him. He was prophesied. You had the Scriptures. You rejected Him. And this was a pattern of preaching throughout the rest of Acts. You're going to see in Acts 3, Acts 10, Acts 13. You did this. God did this. You did this. You rejected God affirmed. 
And God's still doing that today. We reject, God affirms. His sacrificial death. Peter, Peter's just preaching. This is an incredible pattern for preaching for us. Because what he does is he, he talks about, he starts with God attesting to who Jesus was as Messiah. Then he says, this is what you did with Messiah. You killed Him. But then notice what he does next when he talks about what God did. He talks about His sovereign resurrection. Verse 24. He says, God raised Him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for Him to be held by it. Why? Because He was God. And he quotes then Psalm 16. Now, Peter does this. He makes these statements, then he goes to the text. Then he explains the text. That's good preaching right there. David wrote in the first person about Messiah in this psalm. David's not talking about himself. It refers to the resurrection of Messiah. And so that, that would lend the question then, who is Messiah? If David's talking about Messiah, who is it? And Peter just picks up on it in verse 29. He says, brothers, I can say with all confidence, we can go see David's tomb. He's not talking about himself. His tomb is here. He died. He went to Hades. By the way, Hades is not just used for hell. It's also used for death. Just to die. But, he says, this Jesus? What about His tomb? Remember what's going on. Do you think they wouldn't have heard? Well, His disciples came and stole His body. Really? They, they, they came and stole His body? You mean His tomb's empty? So Peter's making a point. They would at least be wondering about it. That David's tomb's not empty. Jesus' tomb is empty. And then Peter takes it a step further in verse 32. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. And if you remember, 1 Corinthians 15 said there was over 500 witnesses in Galilee. So Jesus had appeared to these people. So stop and think for a second. His followers scatter at the trial and crucifixion. Now all of a sudden they're back preaching with boldness. What changed them? They saw Jesus raised from the dead. Yeah! They saw Him and they came back and He's saying, we are witnesses of this resurrection. Guys, that is the hinge point of our faith. No resurrection, no deity of Jesus. That's it. And Peter is laying this out in such a well-reasoned way. It's incredible the sermon that God is preaching through him here to these people. And then he goes into his ascension and verse 20 or 33 when he goes being therefore exalted at the right hand of God. The right hand was the position of honor. And having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Hey, the sound, the sound that you're hearing, the, the languages that you're hearing, all that, that is the Spirit of the Most High God being poured out right now because Jesus ascended up to heaven. And then He quotes... Psalm 110.1, 1, 
which you remember from Melchizedek, that's the Messianic Psalm. They would have known that. And he's quoting and he says, the Lord said to my Lord, it would be for, for you and me to really understand it, it would be like him saying, the Father said to the Son, sit at my right hand. Position of honor. But then he says this, until I make your enemies your footstool. You know where that comes from? When a king would conquer a people back then, the, his military leaders would bring the leaders to the king and the king would take his foot and put it on the neck of those people that were conquered to say, I rule over you now. And that's what he's saying, saying that Jesus has gone up. He's in heaven. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father. He's poured out His Spirit now. And then he makes this statement in verse 36. Let all the house of Israel, in other words, all of you who are listening, therefore, know for certain that God has made Him both, what? Lord, Master, and Messiah. Now wait a minute, Messiah was supposed to be a king, supposed to be a priest, and supposed to be a prophet. And so, isn't it a little redundant to say He made Him Lord and Messiah for them? He's saying, He's the Lord. He's Master. This Jesus you crucified. Well, what was their response? Wait just one second. What was their response? It says they were. When they heard this, what he just said, when they heard it, says they were cut to the heart. That word there literally means stabbed. Acute pain and panic. That's their response. Yeah, Jeff. Isn't that the same, that's the same psalm that, that Jesus used to rebuke the Pharisees back? It is. And it's, a, it's one of the most quoted messianic prophecies in the New Testament. Psalm 110. So Peter is using something they all would have known. And he's going back again. Don't miss what Peter's doing here. He is reasoning with them. Try, he's not just telling them a, three points and a poem and a nice story to get their heart all emotional. He is taking the Word of God, applying it to them, saying, you did this. He says it again. You crucified. Guys, I, I think we missed this. Listen, sinners should feel the pain and agony of what they've done in rejecting Christ. You don't hear that very much today. They should feel it. You know, when I, I, I would watch mass crusades, I would see whether it was Greg Laurie or even Billy Graham, you see people kind of diddy bopping down the stairwell or going down there. They're laughing and joking. And I'm like, they have no idea what's going on. They can't. I want you to imagine this for a second. Imagine you are backing out of your driveway and your neighbor's three-year-old runs behind you and you crush them and kill them. Are you going to feel anything? Are you going to feel angst in your heart when that happens? Why? Why? You took a life. You killed somebody, right? You're going to feel, I don't care how stoic you normally are, you're going to feel something at that moment. 
Yeah, you killed an innocent. Yes. So how in the world can we crucify the Son of God naked on a cross and say we realize it was our sin that put Him there and be laughing as we're going to the altar to confess that? Because we don't realize what we've really done. And we don't really grasp what we've really done. We feel none of this angst that they feel. Why? Because we've so diluted the preaching and we've so diluted using God's Word, we just make it about getting people into a club or a kingdom that we think this is the best way to do it. Instead of using the model that we see that Peter establishes his first message, he preached very clearly. He said, you did this. You did it. That, that, that is not going to go over in a lot of seminaries today. But that's what Peter did. And 3,000 of them went from guilty to forgiven like that. That way. Now, just as a reminder, Peter said, verse 22, this man attested to you by God. Verse 24, God raised him. Verse 32, God raised him. Verse 33, exalted at God's right hand. Verse 34, God made him Lord and Messiah. You did this. God did this. And they were terrified. And they said, what do we do? He said, repent. Repent and be baptized. Now, I've taken groups over there. Some of you in this room have gone over there with me to the temple area, the southern steps. The southern steps are actually where they think Jesus taught. It was called the rabbi steps because they would teach there. They were also known as the processional steps where people who were there for a feast would walk up and go to the temple that way. So real quick, just a, a quick uh, review of Luke 24 says that at the end of the chapter there, it says they were continually in the temple. That's probably where they were hanging. Acts 1 or 2 verse 1 says they were all together. 2 2 says the entire house. The word house was used by the Jews to refer to the house of the Lord. So most likely when Pentecost happened and the Spirit was poured out, it was on those southern steps. The languages. All the different groups of people right there. Now, if you remember, the Feast of the Harvest was a thank you feast to God. It was a, it, it was a thank you feast. And they, they also celebrated the giving of the Ten Commandments. But something incredible happened when the Holy Spirit came out on Pentecost this time. For the first time in the history of Israel, the Spirit of God was no longer in a geographical place. It went into the people of God. This is a transfer. Of, this is huge. Because prior to this, where did you go to see the temple? I mean, where did you go to see the Spirit of God? You went either to the tabernacle when it was temporary or to the temple when it was more permanent. But now God's saying, no, you are the temple. You will carry my spirit. And you're going to go put that out on display to the world around you. And so as they were celebrating this feast, and they're going, wait a minute, 2,989, 94, 98, 99. Hey, 3,000 people were baptized today. 
And they're, wait a minute, 3,000. 3,000. In Exodus, in our writings, when we had the giving of the law on about Pentecost back then, Moses ordered the killing of 3,000 people who violated God's Word. Now, what are the chances of 3,000 people getting killed on and about Pentecost back in the Old Testament and now here in the New, 3,000 people receiving life from the Spirit? It's no coincidence. What did Paul say? The law kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now think about that for a second. Now, when they celebrated the Feast of the Harvest, you know what they did? They had to leave the four corners of their field uncut as a way of showing their gratitude to God because they cared for others. Because he says, if you love others, it means that the love that you have for me is being shown to the people around you. So if you had a stingy person, they would have a big field with many corners. If you had a generous person, they would have big corners on their field. And the people of Israel were so greedy and so holding on to what they thought that God wanted for them to have that they didn't share it. It was only about them. And it was all about them. But look how Pentecost ends. Acts 2, 42-47. We're going to get into that next week. What did they do? They sold everything to take care of those that didn't have needs. And the mark of being filled with the Spirit, guys, is how much we care for people who need what we've already received. How much do we care for those people? Stuff that we have, God's given us. Why is it that 95% of the people in church never tell one person about Jesus Christ, yet they claim to be a Christian? Because I believe that they're the people that are going to hear Matthew 7, what Jesus said when He says, depart, I never knew you. And what, what is our takeaway from, from it? Well, our takeaway is this. First of all, have I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Have I repented and been baptized? Or have I had a conception of Messiah that was more what I wanted it to be than what God said it is? Have I only wanted a Savior? Have I only wanted a priest? Or have I received Messiah that's priest, prophet, and king? Because if if you're His, there is going to be a Spirit in you that you're going to be baptized in that Spirit. It is a sovereign act of God that empowers you to then go be loving to people around you and put them on display. That's, that's a message. Jesus said, they're going to know your mind by your love. Not by what you know. Not by what you say. But what you do. Doesn't mean we're perfect, but it means that we serve the risen King. And we're not ashamed of that. And so in the coming weeks, coming months, coming years, we may have opportunities in America that we're going to see God begin to shrink the church. 
to the real church, the true church, those that are baptized in the Spirit. And just saying a bunch of words with a bunch of consonants, a bunch of mumbling, doesn't make you baptized in the Spirit. It doesn't. What shows that you're baptized in the Spirit is your loyalty to Jesus and your love for other people. That's why he said these two commandments, to love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to what? Love your neighbor as yourself. That love your neighbor as yourself doesn't mean like you love yourself. It means because he is like you. So you look at him with grace. That's why if you can't forgive anybody, Jesus says, how are you getting my forgiveness then? That's, that's some stinging stuff for us to really work through. So I'm, I'm going to close our time now, and then if you have to beat feet, we, we can talk afterwards, but I'm going to close our time in prayer. And I just ask that you bow with me. Think about what God has put on your heart, what He has communicated to you, and how He is calling you to respond. Oh, great and merciful God, You are good and merciful to us. That You would extend to us this offer to be in a relationship with You in spite of our rebellion, our lack of faith, our desire to be our own rulers. You are so merciful and we thank You for Jesus. We thank You for the Word that tells us about His life and about all the things that you did through him to show that he is Messiah. And Lord, I know in a room like this, there may be people here who have known about him. They may have prayed some prayer. They may have acknowledged something, but they have never really been baptized in the Spirit because they never released their heart to you. It's been an intellectual thing. And so I pray that right now, if there's anybody in here that that is descriptive of you. You would take a moment, listen to what God is saying to you, and respond. And if you want to be His, if you want to receive His Messiah, you just tell Him, I want to receive Jesus. I place my faith in Him. He is the only thing that makes it possible for me to know you, God. And I want to be known by you. Just tell them in your own words where you are. Father, for us who have made that step and we've not been filled with the Spirit, we've not been yielded to You and Your Word because of distractions and other things, I pray that we would, uh, Lord, we would take inventory. And whatever You've brought to our hearts and minds, Lord, we would repent of anything that's keeping us from loving our neighbor, anything that's keeping us from putting you on display to those around us, that we would repent of that and, and allow your spirit to lead us. We would be grateful for all you've done and just acknowledge to you that, Lord, we want you to help us. We want to be in fellowship with you. And you tell them that too. Thank you for hearing our prayers. You're gracious God and we love you. Amen.